0: Hey, before we're uh, seated this morning, you know, we should do what hopefully every church in America is doing and just take a moment to pray for some people in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, I know you're all aware, I'm sure, of just the tragedy that uh, that happened there on Friday night. Um, and you know, we, we often don't think, uh, I don't know that anyone in here uh, could imagine that happening to them this week, uh, but there were some people in churches last week in Colorado that had no idea when they left church on Sunday that their family would never go to church together again ever uh, until they entered eternity. So we need to pray for the 50 or so that are still injured. I know there's about a dozen in, um, in critical care in the ICU, of course, 12, the families of those who lost their life, um, just that community as they try to heal together. Uh, we need to lift up prayers, and, and uh, one of the ways we can minister to them is, is just by praying. So would you bow your heads with me before we're seated today? And Heavenly Father, we, just, we come to you in Jesus' name. And, uh, Lord, we just lift up uh, the people, uh, Lord, involved in that movie theater shooting uh, on late Friday night. And, God, I specifically pray right now, uh, God, for uh, those who lost loved ones. Uh, Lord, I think about that mother in ICU who still hasn't been told that her six-year-old daughter was killed. Um, and, Lord, they're just praying she'll, she'll make it through. Uh, Lord, I think about as the stories start to come out, uh, the newly married people, the new mothers and fathers who were there, the engaged people, uh, the military men and women, uh, Lord, who just with an act of senseless violence lost their life. I pray for their families, and I pray for that community. I pray for those who are wounded and recovering. Um, and, uh, and, Lord, I just pray your grace. I pray for the churches in that community as they try to answer questions that really don't have answers, um, and as they just try to show the love of Jesus to that community. Be with them. Lord, bless them. Uh, and Lord, we just ask for, uh, like Elisha, ask Elijah for a double portion of your spirit. Lord, we ask for a double portion of your presence in that community today. And on those churches and on the Christians there that uh, that are just going to try to love, uh, not going to try to explain, but just going to try to love people who are hurting. Uh, and Lord, as a, uh, as a church, we pray that you'll see our hearts aware of this situation, uh, Lord, and that uh, you'll bless because of our prayers today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you would, if you have your Bible. We're going to start today in John chapter 17. John chapter 17 is where we are. And if you did not bring a Bible today, our ushers are going to come down the aisle. Uh, and they're going to pass out Bibles every Sunday here. We're going to open our Bible. We're going to read our Bible. We're going to take notes. Uh, we're going to learn because this is uh, this is our Bible study portion. And every Sunday morning we have one. So if you're brand new, if you forgot a Bible, just wave at our ushers. If you want to have a Bible, we're going to read like entire chapters of Scripture today as we study Daniel and the lion's den. So you might want to have one in your lap. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, keep it. This one's yours forever. It's our gift to you. Uh, As a church in the last 10 months that we've been going we've given away more than 300 bibles just like this on sunday morning We give them away say put your name in the front and keep it If you just forgot your bible today when you leave throw it on the table uh, and bring yours back next week uh, If you come and are a part of what we're doing, but in john chapter 17 um, How many of you? How many of you know the lord's prayer raise your hand? I'm not gonna ask you to say but you know the lord's prayer raise your hand Keep it up for a minute. If you know the lord's prayer, how many of you know that jesus never prayed that prayer? It was not really, It wasn't his prayer. Uh, the disciples came to him in Matthew chapter 6, we, we read, and they said, You know, Lord, like, how, how do you pray? Can you teach us how to pray like you pray? And Jesus said, Sure, you pray like this. And he, he taught them how to pray, but they, he never actually prayed that prayer that we're aware of. But in John chapter 17, uh, we have what, what should be called the Lord's Prayer, it's called the high priestly prayer. But it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible, John chapter 17. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter of John chapter 17 is Jesus praying. And let me give you the context. We're not going to read all of it. We're only going to read a verse. But I want you to get the context. This is the last day, the last night, that Jesus lived before his crucifixion. If you're aware of the Jesus story at all, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 13, Jesus has washed his disciples' feet. They're having dinner together. In John chapter 14, uh, he says, hey, I'm leaving. Uh, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That's where we read that Jesus said, I'm going to go prepare a place and I'll come back and get you. And Thomas said, "Like, well, how do we know how to get there? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. In John 15, Jesus and his disciples leave. And if you've ever been to Israel, I was there just a few months ago. Uh, they walked from where they were having dinner through a little valley that was filled with olive trees and vines and Uh, It it was just a a, just right across the Kidron Valley from the city out to a little garden called the Garden of Gethsemane and in John chapter 15 as they're walking Jesus starts talking about the vine and the branches and I'm sure he's pointing to these trees as he's telling stories and he's telling his disciples just stay close to me everything's going to be okay in John chapter 16 he says I'm telling you stay close to me but I'm actually leaving so the Holy Spirit is going to come so he's kind of teaching them the last last little bit of biblical theology that he needs. In John chapter 17, he tells his disciples, pray. It's getting, getting ready to get really hard. Pray. I don't know that I can make it through this. Scripture history tells us that he took Peter, James, and John, the three who were closest to him, and he said, hey, I'm going to leave the, the eight disciples over there because Judas had already left. And he said, I need you three to come with me and to pray because, man, I don't know that I'm going to make it through tonight. And the Bible tells us that he went and he, he sweat. He was in so much agony that his sweat became like... Drops of blood. If you go to Israel today, there's a huge slab of stone from the first century where they say Jesus prayed and his blood was. And you can take pictures and reach out and touch it. But it was during those moments that Jesus prayed this prayer. John was there. He was close enough to hear it. He was close enough to understand it. And in John chapter 17, Jesus prays for three groups of people. He prays specifically for his disciples. He prays for those the disciples will reach, but then he prays for people who will, for the rest of time, he prays for anyone who will become a Christian for the, the rest of time. And in John seventeen seventeen, he makes this statement about you and about me. This is Jesus praying for us in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops like drops of blood. Jesus prays this for you and for me. He prays these words, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. Now, if you don't have that highlighted or underlined in your Bible, we went over a similar passage this morning in our student ministry discipleship class at 930. And I told our students, underline this verse in your Bible, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. I want you, after you underline verse 17, to circle the word sanctify. Circle the word sanctify because it's a big spiritual word. That really means something pretty common sense spiritually and if uh, if you're brand new we give away these kind of sermon notes you can follow along and track and there's a little blank there that said sanctify literally means set apart or make different. That's what I mean, I want you to think about it. Jesus is now in the last hours of his life. He's not praying for himself. He prayed for himself very quickly. God, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, please, but if not, I'll do it. Just give me strength. And then he turns and he starts praying for us. And he says, and here's Jesus' prayer for you and for me. If you ever wonder what Jesus prays for when he thinks about you, his prayer is this, according to John 17:17. 17, 17, he wants you to be different spiritually. So how do I become different spiritually? Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is the truth. Jesus says, I want people to become different spiritually. How? By understanding God's word. Jesus wants you to become different spiritually. Now, here's the question that I would have. Well, Christian, how does that happen? Or, or I would ask this, what does that look like? What does it look like for a Christian to look different? And I'm going to answer that question by telling you a story today, by drawing you a picture uh, of an Old Testament narrative in Daniel chapter 6 that we know as Daniel and the lion's den. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip all the way back to Daniel chapter 6, kind of right in the middle of the Old Testament. Uh, if you reach Psalms, you've gone too far, kind of go back to the right. You'll go back past... Isaiah and Jeremiah and limitations and Ezekiel, and then Daniel's going to pop up on uh, on your page there. If you're brand new and we just gave you a Bible, there's a table of contents right in the beginning of that Bible, um, and you'll find Daniel as an Old Testament book. It'll uh, it'll be listed there. Daniel chapter six. And we continue our series that we started today. My Lord, Ezekiel is a long book. I've been flipping through it for like five minutes. Okay, Daniel chapter 6. There, there I am, finally. Uh, but we continue a series today that, uh, that, that we simply call Bedtime Stories. And we have been looking all summer long at our church at the greatest stories in the Bible, not so that we can know them, not so we can tell them, but so that we can understand what they mean for us spiritually and so they can impact us spiritually. Uh, How many of you have ever put together a puzzle? Raise your hand. Uh, How many of you have ever put together a puzzle without a box or without a picture to look at Have You ever tried to do that? I mean, that's like maybe you can fill in the edges, but that is difficult to try to put together a picture of something that you've never seen. John 17, 17 is a puzzle. Sanctify them. Christians should be different. That's a puzzle. The picture to show us. How that happens is Daniel chapter 6. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, everything in the Old Testament was written as an example for us, as a picture for us, so that we can see when we're challenged to grow spiritually, so that we can see what it looks like through the Old Testament. So these stories that we've been studying are pictures that help us understand how to put the pieces in our life together so we can, according to John seventeen seventeen, be different. And today we look at one of the greatest ever, one of the most well-known stories and most loved stories in the entire Bible. Daniel chapter 6, Daniel and the lion's den. Here's how it lays out scripturally. We'll read through 28 verses and then we're going to come back and we're going to ask the question together. What made Daniel different? Because God said, Jesus said, God make Christians different. Daniel was different. What made Daniel different? Here's his story, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius... To appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. Now let me catch you up there before we all get lost in verse 1. If you study this carefully, you you know, or if you've been here the last few weeks, Daniel was a kid from Israel. He was actually from the southern part of Israel, a place called Judah. Judah had been conquered in a war by Babylon. Uh, Babylon was situated where modern-day Iraq is. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar set up a a few weeks ago We read a a huge monument in the desert to himself a 45 miles south of baghdad So you can hopefully if you know geography at all you can picture this on a map Daniel we find out three of his friends Hananiah, Meshach, Azariah who were given the names Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego Were kidnapped with him their parents were killed They were kidnapped they were taken to babylon and they had been living in babylon and then babylon got conquered And babylon got conquered by a country Uh, called the Persians, which would be modern-day Iran. Uh, And Babylon got conquered, and Darius was now. So Daniel had made it through the Babylonian conquering of Israel. Now he's made it through the Persian uh, conquering of Babylon. So, I mean, this guy is a fighter. He's probably in his late 60s to late 70s. He's an old man now in Daniel chapter 6. And Darius is the guy who's in charge of the world on behalf of the media, Persians, and here's his thought. He said, you know, basically they owned most of the world at the time. Eventually they were conquered by Greece. Greece was conquered by Rome. And that catches us up to kind of New Testament history. Uh, but he said, you know, I need to find some people to run the world for me. Uh, and here was his thought. He said, I'm going to get 120 people, basically congressmen, senators, but they were businessmen. They're going to control the money. Uh, so it says, it pleased Darius. He was the king to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout all the kingdom of Media, Persia with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. So Daniel's a pretty important guy here. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. What does that mean? So that his money wouldn't get stolen. Daniel was in charge of the guys who were collecting taxes, making sure that everything that was owed to Darius was brought in, and Daniel was accountable to make sure that these guys weren't stealing money from the king. And because of that, they didn't like him, because they made their money stealing money from the king. So Daniel wasn't a popular guy. I don't want to say Daniel worked for the IRS, but kind of. That that was his role. He wanted to make sure you weren't stealing from the government. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Um, At this, verse 4, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. But they weren't able to do so. They thought, we've got to get him fired. Is he doing anything wrong? And everyone said, no. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, And the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any God or any human being during the next 30 days, except you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it can't be altered in accordance with the law, of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking his God for help. So they went to the king and they spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians. It cannot be repealed. Verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him, and he couldn't even sleep. Verse 19, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown in the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth that he ruled. And he said, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. You know, Daniel is a really interesting personality in scripture. Do you know that if you study carefully the 66 books of the Bible and if you if you study carefully the hundreds of personalities that are presented to us in the Bible, only Jesus in the New Testament and Daniel in the Old Testament are presented as men whose life story has zero spiritual flaw in them. Now, I'm not saying that Daniel did not sin. I'm just saying, as an author of Scripture and as a, as a scriptural personality, we know not one thing that Daniel did wrong in his entire life. I'm sure he did some. They're just not written for us. Among all the personalities in the Old Testament, and, and, and I mean, when you think about Old Testament, there's a lot of great Old Testament saints, right? I mean, just the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We could go back further than that and talk about Adam or Enoch who walked with God and God took him directly to heaven. Or we could talk about Noah. Uh, We could talk about Moses. We could talk about Joshua. We could talk about David or Solomon or Samuel. We could talk about some of the judges, Samson and Gideon um, and Ehud. I mean, we could talk about a lot of people who did a lot of things spiritually. Daniel is the most spiritually respected person in the 39 books of the Old Testament. I mean, spiritually. Spiritually. Daniel is at the pinnacle of someone who walked with God in the Old Testament. Not one thing do we read that he did wrong spiritually. He is the most spiritually revered person in the Old Testament. The question is, why, what, why was he so different? What made him so different? You know, if it, it, let me ask you this question. Could that statement that I just made about Daniel be made about you in, in any setting in your life? Would your extended family say that of everyone in your extended family, You are the person who reveres and walks with God and is the most spiritually mature of of anyone in your family. Would people say that at your workplace? That of all the people in the workplace who say that they're a Christian, who go to church, who claim some type of religion, that you stand out among all the people in your workplace? Would, would, uh, Would your wife say that about the men in her life that she knows? Would your kids say that? Among all the parents that your kids... We run around with would, would your kids say that that of all the parents that they that they interact with that their mom and dad appear to love god the most I mean jesus in john seventeen seventeen 17. He, he threw us a puzzle And here was his puzzle. Listen, I want you to be different I want you to be set apart I want you to be sanctified. That's the biblical word But it, it literally means taken from one place to another and set apart for a purpose made different I want you to be different. Why was Daniel... I mean, we mentioned Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Samuel, David. I mean, these were spiritual guides. I'd, I'd be happy to be mentioned in any of their company. Why, why was Daniel better? Why is he remembered more godly? What are the three things that made Daniel different? I wish I had time to study the whole book of Daniel with you because it's fascinating. And if, uh, if you are a Bible reader or if you will take the challenge to become a Bible reader, I challenge you this week... Um, starting tomorrow all the way through next Saturday, read one chapter a day of Daniel. Read Daniel chapter 1 through Daniel chapter 6. This week, read six chapters of the book of Daniel because his life is fascinating. I don't have time to teach all of it, but his life from Daniel 1 eight when he made up his mind to follow God to Daniel 6.28 when he climbed out of the lion's den is fascinating spiritually. And we find in his life there are three things that made him different. Three things that made him different that we can all grab onto today, understand and replicate in our own life and faith if we will take the challenge to be different. And what are the things that Daniel had that, uh, that maybe we need or certainly that we need to strive for? Number one, we see that Daniel's identity was totally wrapped up in his following God. As a matter of fact, in verse 5, here's what we are told about Daniel. They, they wanted Daniel to be thrown in jail. He was keeping him from stealing the king's money. He wasn't corrupt in anything that he did. And here's what we're told in verse 5. The men said we'll never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel. Unless it has something to do with the law of his God. I want you to write this down. On your sermon notes. Everybody knew that Daniel followed God. It was his identity. It was what was most important to him. It was when people looked at Daniel, they equated him with, he loves God. You know, we, we know all about identity. Um, and, and we know about carrying around identity, uh, especially those of us who have any kind of sports, uh, any, t- any type of sports teams we follow at all. We, we know about identity. All right? Go to Arrowhead Sunday. Uh, on their opening game this year, and you'll find out about identity, right? Because everyone is dressed in red, and everyone's got the arrowhead. And there are some people that, like, have arrows sticking in them, and they paint their... I mean, we know all about identifying with something. Uh, on NFL kickoff Sunday this year, September 9, we're going to do something we've never done before. You say, why? Because we never had a church on NFL kickoff Sunday before, because it would be the first one we've ever had. Uh, but we're going to have everyone that day wear their favorite NFL team. Um, color. So your jersey, your t-shirt, a, a hat, a wristband, we want you to wear your, your favorite team. Come sporting your NFL stuff and we're going to find out as a church who, uh, who our church supports. Uh, I know from following people on Facebook and interact. I mean, I know we've got Chiefs fans, but I know that we've got Broncos fans. Uh, Pastor Ryan, we're going to have to kick him out that day because he'll come decked out in his Broncos from head to toe. I know we've got Steelers fans for some reason, a bunch, like, like a dozen or so Steelers fans. I know we've got Packers fans. I mean, we we got people who identify with the team. We know how to identify when it comes to sports. We know how, how to let people know I follow that team. Uh, in, in any time you play in sports, it's, it, you have to be identified. When you play a sport, you have to be identified, even if you don't have jerseys. So funny, a few years ago, my son is 10. He'll be 11 uh, in, in uh, like nine days. Um, but a few years ago, he went to a little football camp when he was in like first or second grade, and they didn't have uniforms, but during this camp, they wanted to play ultimate football. Um, you know, it's kind of like ultimate Frisbee, except with a, with a football. Um, and, he, you know, he came home after camp. He was having a great time. We, we were driving home. Um, And I, you know, I said, "Hey, what'd you guys do?" He said, "Oh, we played ultimate football at the last hour of camp." I said, "Ah, oh, it was great. It was awesome." I said, "Whose team were you on?" And he started naming, and I said, "How'd y'all like know who was on which team? Because ultimate football is just crazy. There's just people everywhere." He's like, "Oh, we played shorts and skins." And I said, "Don't you mean shirts and skins?" And he's like, "No, we played shorts and skins." Um, and I was like, "You know, while that would be highly entertaining to watch, um, I'm sure it was shirts." And skins, um, and I thought, you know, you're seven. Why am I even arguing with you? But you know, you you have to, at certain times in life, identify, I'm on this team. How many of you in here are over the age of 30? Raise your hand if you're over the age of 30. So you all, all that crowd who's over the age of 30, you remember when basketball shorts were short, like sh- like short, like really short, like shorter than girls are allowed to wear to school today? Short. You know, when I was coming into, into high school, and, you know, I went to a, re, a very small school. I had like 75 kids in my graduating class in southern Ohio. I mean, Redneckville from the sticks of southern Ohio. Uh, and when I was coming up through, you know, the uniforms, maybe you went to a school like that, they just got passed down. So our uniforms were the 10 years previous before the varsity got passed to JV, JV got passed to freshman. freshmen got passed to middle schoolers, and, you know, eighth grade got passed to seventh grade. So we just kept getting people's old uniforms. And when I was a freshman, um, the, the old varsity uniforms, which had been passed down to us three times, were short, like short, really short, like past the tan line short. You know what I'm talking about when when I say like, 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 like pocket hanging out of the bottom short? Like short, which doesn't make sense because the cheerleading skirts were long there. Remember when cheerleaders used to wear clothes and they like came down to here and they had like different color pleats every time and then they wore sweaters instead of dressing like they were like out water skiing or something like that? has nothing to do with the message, but we, we wore short shorts. So one game we had two or three guys. We, we had a couple guys on our varsity basketball team that got sick and they had to have um, three three guys from the JV and freshman teams come up and play varsity, which is like, you know, just just to come sit the bench, you know, to go through warm ups like when the band was playing and when the house was full was like the coolest thing in the world. And they, you know, they pulled us out and they're like, hey, you know, me and two of my buddies are like, we need you guys to dress varsity, we're not gonna have enough guys, so uh go get your stuff. So we race in the locker room and they've got they've only got two uniforms, two real varsity uniforms. Um and my buddies beat me to them and they're like, you just you gonna have to wear that man. So, you know, we get ready to like, you know, run out for warmups. And you know, they got like on the like the warm up top, you know, that's big and baggy and they got pants that snap off and you know they got shorts that come to their knees and they're like mesh and they're like really cool. And then you got me in like these Daisy Dukes, you know, <laughs> trotting out there. And I was like, man, I look like a dork. You know, I got these, you know, I don't even want to dress varsity. I got these girly shorts on and my shorts are shorter than the skirts that the cheerleaders have on. And yeah, I don't I, I, I re, I'm humiliated to this day because I look different than everyone else. You know, some of us spiritually. Some of us spiritually. God has called us. From the B team to the varsity, he's called us into a relationship with him. He's called us to become a Christian. He's called us to live with him. He's, he's called us to now live at his level spiritually. And you know what, man? We're still running around in our freaking girly shorts. And we look like an idiot. Because with our mouth, we're trying to claim that we play varsity spiritually. Oh, yeah, I love God. and I'm a Christian. And I go to church and I walk with God. But, but our clothing, our identity betrays us. Man, you're not on a varsity. Your shorts don't even come to your knees. You know, you don't have warm-ups. You're wearing girly shorts. Listen, it's time for some of us in this church to take off our girly shorts spiritually. If we're going to play varsity, we need to play varsity. If we're going to be a Christian, we need to identify spiritually. I'm on, I'm on this team now. I, I've been promoted spiritually, and I'm on this team now. You know, the Bible talks about becoming new when you become a Christian. A different identity. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24 Says that when we become Christians, He made new the attitude of our minds, so that we could put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, when we become a Christian, our identity changes to where people say, "Man, your life is different now." You say, "Yeah, I'm following God." In uh, Colossians three two, Paul says, "When you become a Christian, you got to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. You got to change spiritually." In John five twenty four. Jesus said very truly I tell you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has had eternal life They won't be judged, but they have crossed over from death to life. They have switched teams Listen, if you're a christian, you have switched teams It's time to put the correct uniform on You know when I first got to kansas city in the late 90s Joe montana had just been traded from the san francisco 49ers to the kansas city chiefs Can you imagine if the first game that cool joe played at arrowhead stadium? He would have worn his 49ers uniform out on the field You think that would have worked? Yet that's how some of us are living our lives. We have joined God's team, but we don't want to take off our old uniform. And we're wondering why no one sees us like Daniel. Why everyone doesn't know. Yeah, they're a Christian. They love God. Let me ask you again. Are you that person that when someone thinks of the most spiritually passionate person in their workplace, in their home, in their family, among their parents, do they think of you? Or or you still have on the girly shorts? And, and you haven't changed your uniform yet. You want to play varsity with it, you haven't changed your uniform yet. Daniel 6 5, these men said, We won't find any basis for charges against him unless it has to do with something with God. Because everyone knows that Daniel loves God. You say, Christian, this, you know, no one can be like Daniel. You think people know Tim Tebow loves God? Why is, Christ, why is Tim Tebow so special? I mean, how come everyone, do you think he's the only Christian in the NFL? Honestly, do you think he's the only Christian in the NFL? But everybody knows he loves God, right? Why? Identity. Identity. He clearly lets lets, lets it be known which team that he's on. Some of you are what I would call, here, write this down. Some of you are vampire Christians. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Did my wife tell you that I went to see Twilight with her? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I know you went and saw that movie because somebody told me. You're a vampire Christian. What is a vampire Christian? A vampire Christian is someone who just needs a little bit of blood spiritually so that they can be immortal. They just want enough blood. They just want enough of Jesus' blood to allow them to have eternal life. But nobody knows that they're a Christian. They only come out at night. And they only gather with with other people like when no one else is around. Man, we got a whole church now. Church, not Journey Church, but we got a whole church world full of vampire Christians. You just want enough blood to be immortal, but you really don't care that anyone knows that you're a Christian. And you wonder why we don't impact the world anymore. You need to, if you want to be different like Daniel was different, you need to change your identity. Now, I'm going to hammer this. Why? Because I'm the pastor and it's my job. The first step of public identity as a Christian is to be baptized. It says uh, all baptism, the baptism doesn't save you, baptism doesn't forgive you, baptism doesn't change you. All baptism does is it's, identif- it's an identification. It's saying I'm with Jesus publicly. I had someone call me one time and say, hey, will you, will you baptize me privately in my backyard? I don't want anyone to see. And I said, no, that's not the purpose of baptism. You can go swimming by yourself. Baptism is to say to people who are looking, I am a Christian now. And if you've not been baptized since you became a Christian as an adult, and listen, there are scores of people in our church who are baptized as infants and babies in a bunch of different denominations, and that is awesome. That's, I'm, I'm fine with that. We don't do that here, but you're not wrong for doing that. But as an adult, when you have decided that I am a Christian You then have to decide I want to tell the world that i'm a christian baptism does that doesn't change You it doesn't mean you can't ever go back to your old church doesn't mean you're leaving your old church It just says I am identifying with jesus I'm on his team now I'm gonna take off the girly shorts. I'm gonna put on the ones that come to my knees I'm gonna look like i'm on the varsity. I'm gonna identify with jesus. Listen some of you Need to identify With jesus Don't be a vampire christian don't have just enough of Jesus so that you can go to heaven, but you, you, you know your Christian life is in the dark. Don't do that. Identify with Jesus. Step two. As we look at Daniel's life, we see that Daniel, and again, I, I want to remind you, so often we see pictures of Daniel and he looks like a teenager. He was at least 70 when he was in the lion's den. He had lived a life of consistency. And this is really important. As a matter of fact, this is so important That I would almost say this. And I I don't know that I would go as far as saying this. But my heart heart argues something like this. Identity without consistency looks like hypocrisy. Right? You'll get that, right? So it's almost not worth identifying if you're not going to be consistent. Because identity without consistency looks like hypocrisy. And that just confuses everyone. But if you identify yourself as a Christian, if you start wearing the big boy shorts, and, and then you consistently begin to live for God, man, you, you can be like a Daniel. You can really stand out. Psalm 1195 is, is a verse that is one of the prayers of my heart because of how far that I have to go spiritually. The psalmist says this in Psalm 1195 in the New Living Translations Oh, that my actions would consistently reflect your decrees. And you need to jot that verse down on your sermon notes. Oh, that my actions the psalmist here is saying, Man, let my life, like let the actions of my life be consistent. Don't you hate when you struggle with consistency? Man, I was on my way home from working out this week and I drive almost out to Lone Jack a couple times a week when when I'm when I'm faithful. Not every day or not every week, but when I try to and I was driving home the other day, and you know, and, and I try to, I, I go real early so it's dark. There's no one on the road while I'm going there, so I just try to pray, like on the way there and on the way back. I'll listen to worship music and I'll pray a little bit. So I'm driving home, and I'm on 50 Highway, and I'm, you know, I'm in the left-hand lane. I think the speed limit's maybe 60. I'm probably going 62 or 63. I'm just kind of driving along, kind of praying. I've got some worship music on my radio. I'm not really paying attention, and I glance up and I realize that. Like somebody's behind me, like trying to go by me. Have you ever been in the fast lane, not going fast enough, and somebody like wants to go by you? So I just, you know, I'm in the spirit, and I'm like, that's cool. He can drive fast. And, you know, I put on my blinker, and you know, praise God, I pull over in the right-hand lane. And as he goes by me, he lays on the horn and just gives me the bird for like 30 seconds. And I instantly flipped from, yeah, I love God, to I'm going to kill this guy. So I do my shame. So he drives So he's just laying on the road, he's staring at me, giving me the bird. And he flies by me. And I thought, that son of a gunner. So I whipped back into the left hand lane and got as close to him as I could. And I'm like making a mean face over the dash, you know, like getting a jerk like I'm crazy. And like for a mile I'm fil- following this guy, acting like an idiot. I mean literally acting like an idiot. And I'm like, you know, I'm gonna uh, you know, I'm gonna in Jesus' name, you know, I'm gonna lay hands on this guy and like, Father, I'm still the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You know, I mean, it's just like so angry, you know, so I'm a, you know, and I'm like not yelling because I thought to myself, if he sees me yelling, he might think I'm cussing. I don't want him to think I'm cussing because I'm a Christian. I just say <laughs> so this is literally going through my head. I just I just want him to think that I'm crazy and I'm a killing. So, you know, I, but I don't want him to think I'm cussing. So I'm doing this and it's like the Lord says to me, what are you doing? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> God's like, stop it. You should be praying for this guy like you're a pastor like fine, you know, God Touch this guy today in such a way that his finger falls off his hand and he's just gone forever I was mad Told daniel daniel's like well, like what would you do if he shows up at church? I shake his hand really hard and stare at him Like that was mean. I mean, I was just Like i'm so inconsistent in my faith. I got off the exit and I thought, well, I should go back to my prayer time. And I was like, God, and, and I was like, never mind. You know, I can't pray right now. Jeez, forgive me for being an idiot and having road rage. I mean, I thought, God, I don't have like a Journey Church bumper sticker on my car at this point in time. I'd have to take it off. Like, I, you know, God's like, put on the girly shorts. You're done. You know, you're off the varsity. It's bad. You know, we know how to develop consistency in life. We just haven't all developed spiritual consistency in life yet, myself included. In Hebrews 6, 10 through 12, we see the great promises of a life lived with consistency. The author of Hebrews says, God is not unjust. He won't forget how hard you have worked for him and how you've shown your love for him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts. Our goal is that you'll be consistent In order to make certain that what you hope for will come true, then you won't become spiritually dull. You won't become spiritually indifferent. You know why some of us aren't consistent? Because we're spiritually dull. We're spiritually indifferent. We just we come to church, we leave church, serve a little, give a little, you know, pray a little, read a little. We're just we're just kind of indifferent. It's just not that big a deal. But to Daniel, it was a big deal. His consistency was a big deal, and the whole world realized his consistency. Listen, let me me ask you this question. I know you know how to be consistent. If you were as consistent in your employment as you are in your faith, would you still have a job? If you were as consistent with your kids' sports teams and practices as you are in getting them to church and in your faith, would they even have a chance spiritually? I mean, you know if your kid skips practice two or three times a month, like they're probably going to get kicked off the team, right? If, you, if you're more faithful making sure your kids' sports are taken care of than you are your children's faith, is, is that good? If you were as consistent with your physical workout routine or your favorite hobby or your favorite sports as you are with your faith, would you be in good shape? Would you be on any kind of team at all? If you were as consistent in paying your bills... As you are in giving spiritually, would you have good credit? If you were as consistent a fan of your favorite sports teams as you are in your faith, would you be considered a great fan? I mean, some of you are like me. I, I have my favorite teams. I have alerts set up on my phone that when their game's in, it text messages me the score of their game. Because I'm a fan. I'm a sports fan. And some of us, man, if, if we cared as much about the Chiefs, the Royals, the Tigers, the Jayhawks, the Buckeyes, bless God, all of you from Ohio. I know there's nobody but me, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Like if we loved God, if we loved our sports teams as much as we love God, nobody would say we were a fan of anyone. Consistency. When you look at great athletes, when you look at great musicians, when you look at great artists, you see that it's people who have been consistent over a long period of time who really achieve the top level. And four times in the book of Daniel, we're told how consistent he is. Daniel 6.10, three times a day, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, as he had always done before. Daniel 6.13, the guy said he still prays three times a day. Daniel 6.16, the king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Daniel 6.20, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Four times in one chapter. Daniel shows his consistency. The people who don't like Daniel know he's consistent. The people who love Daniel know he's consistent. And when we see the great victory and blessing given for what has happened in his life, he says it's because of his consistency. See, passion without consistency, it it doesn't mean anything. We've all seen people like that in every area of life. It's not about just being passionate. It's not about just having knowledge. It's about being consistent over a long period of time. Daniel identified, and then he was consistent And consistency plus identification, man, builds a strong testimony in the eyes of the world. But there's a third way we can become set apart. Hang on, before we flip to that, Romans 14.23 is a great verse in the Message Translation. I hope you'll write this one down. Romans 14.23 says this, If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's wrong. Like, that's about as simple as you can put it. Thank you, Eugene Peterson, for the message translation of Romans fourteen twenty three. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, then it's what's the word? It's wrong. If the way you live isn't consistent with what you believe, it's wrong. Consistency, 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 identity, consistency. Number three, trust. And this is something I feel like I've only developed in the last two years of my life spiritually. I wish I could say I've had it forever, but I don't think that I have. In Daniel chapter 6, verses 19 through 23, after he spent a night with the lions, it says this. The king was overjoyed. Is that right? 19, verse 19. Hang on, I started at the wrong verse. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and he hurried to the lions' den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God has sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. Verse 23. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had, what's the word there? Trusted. In his God. Do you trust God? Let me ask that again. Do you trust God? You know, I believe there's a big difference between faith and trust. Daniel displayed his faith by praying three times a day, by following God. I mean, faith is is something that, like, on a daily basis, we exhibit faith, we have faith. Uh, and you can, you, can even, you can even write this down. I, I, actually, I want you to write this down on your sermon note. Your words can speak about your faith. You can talk to your friends about faith. You can tell someone about faith. You can Facebook and tweet and whatever else you do, blog about faith. Your words can speak about your faith. But your actions speak about your trust. And there's a difference. You see, Daniel's faith had prayed, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, rescue me, for years, maybe 50 years. Daniel's words had had expressed faith. But now it was time for his actions to follow his words. And when Daniel got down in that lion's den and said, here we go, he was saying this, God, I trust you. Listen, if you know how something's going to turn out, it's not called trust. Trust is when you're not sure of the outcome, but you know God has spoken to you to be obedient, and you do it, and you just say, God, I trust you. I have said that I have faith in this, but now my actions are expressing trust in this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and All your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Listen, coming to church on a Sunday morning in the middle of July, it doesn't prove, but it it, uh, certainly appears if you come to church on a Sunday in the middle of July, it, it appears that you have faith. But living for God Monday through Saturday in a manner that is more for God than for others, in a manner that totally identifies its life with Christianity, in a manner that totally is consistent, that is trust. And just trusting how things will turn out, that, that is trust. You know, uh, 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 about three years ago, Danielle and I knew that God was calling us to move to Lee Summit and, uh, and to start a church. And the biggest obstacle to our faith was our home. We had saved for six years to build the house that we wanted to live in for the rest of our lives in the place where we wanted our kids to grow up for the rest of their lives. We had a cul-de-sac, and just in the houses on our cul-de-sac, the backyard that wrapped into our cul-de-sac, there were 34 kids within three years of our kids, up or down, just in our backyard. I mean, it was like the perfect place to live for the family that we wanted to have. And when God said, I want you to move to Lee Summit and build a church, it was like, God, that sounds awesome, but what about the house? And, you know, even before Danielle did I you know, I started praying, you know, God, I, I'm, I'm cool losing the house. Um, but you got to speak to Danielle. You know, it's the woman who picks the colors and the, the backsplashes and all that stuff that, you know, makes houses look pretty. You know, I'm just like, hey, this is the house I want. You can make it look like whatever you want to. And I prayed for nine months, God, if you really want to do this, you're going to you're gonna have to take our house. And uh, we, were, we were at a, a conference, a pastor's conference after we had said yes to God, um, with our with our words, our words that said yes to God, we're at a conference, and we walk out of a session at a conference, and Daniel looks at me and says, "I think we need to put our house up for sale, like now." And I said, Where are we going to go? I, said, I don't know. Trust. So we called a realtor in late September of 2010, nine. Can't remember. 2010. Um said hey we need to sell our house and he's like listen, you're not gonna sell your house It's fall wait till the spring We said no we feel like god's telling us to sell our house We're christians. We feel like we're supposed to move and start a church We need to sell our house He's like well nobody's gonna buy it and then the price is gonna fall through We just said listen. We feel like god has told us to sell our house put a sign in the yard So we don't have to lay hands on you in the name of I mean, you know how that you know how You know how that works, you know, it's like just put a stupid sign in the yard So we put a sign in the yard and in 21 days our house sells And we're like, okay, God, you know, now what? Where where are we going to go? What do we want? What are we going to do? So we start looking at houses all over Lee Summit, try to find a house. the The person that wanted our house wanted us out in a month, so we had a month to make this transition. We're getting ready to come off staff at our church. we, had no few, we didn't know where we were going to live. We didn't know how we were going to make money. Our church did not even have a bank account set up yet for people to, you know, friends and family to give to help support us. I mean, we, we had nothing but trust. We felt like God had said go. We looked at a house, a foreclosure over here that we really wanted to buy, but all the bankers said, you know, I don't think you're going to get it. And we're like, man, just run the numbers. We think this is where God wants us to be. And we actually packed the truck at our house. Our friends who were helping us move, you know, we're like, where, where are we going to take this stuff to? And we're like, we don't know. Like we don't have a house yet. So we might get this one, we might not. So we're going to pack it. And literally the day we packed our house, we knew we were either going to take our stuff to a storage unit or a house. We didn't. It was just trust. It's like, all right, God, this is all in your hands. We're packing up our stuff. We're loading trucks. We have too much stuff. We load another truck. A lot of the people who helped us move are in this place. And it was kind of like, hey, we'll, we'll call you if something happens. And like at 5 o'clock on the day that we were moving, not knowing where we were going, The mortgage guy on Lee Summit called me and said, you got the house. You can sign in two days. Now that experience for us, I mean, you read a lot of stories about God being real and you read stories about Daniel and the lion's den and we talk a lot about faith, but when you step off the cliff and God catches you, it builds trust, not faith. And it's like you just know that God is going to carry you through your life, whatever may come, He's not going to let you down But you can't know that until faith turns into action consistent action And identifying action I promise you if you start living your life as a christian identifying with jesus You can trust that god will not let you down If you start living consistently, it's hard, but you can do it. You can trust god won't let you down But it's time as a church. We begin to identify with jesus Get consistent with Jesus and learn how to trust. Listen, if God is speaking to your heart to do something, do it. Say, Christian, what's going to happen? What if the lions eat me? If God is speaking to you to do something, do it. It will be okay. You can trust. You can trust God. If Daniel proves to us anything, you can trust God about getting baptized. Been nervous? Step out and get baptized. You can trust God about your giving. About your serving About inviting a friend About uh, going to talk to someone about Jesus About committing to do something I just don't trust Just trust You can trust God I promise you Let's pray together God we come to you in Jesus name today So thankful for the puzzle of John 17:17. 17, 17, that Lord we uh, were supposed to be different And we're thankful that the puzzle came with a great picture. That uh, Daniel shows us what different looks like. Uh, That it's somebody who identifies with God. And everyone knows that they're a Christian. They've got no shame identifying, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus. Lord, help the people in our church to identify more publicly with Jesus. So that you can impact our world through us. Lord Daniel was consistent for more than 50 years. Three times a day, we're told. That's consistency. Lord, build consistency in us so that our identification doesn't look like hypocrisy, but it looks like Jesus. And then, Lord, build trust into us that when you say go, when you say stop, when you say give, when you say serve, when you say commit, when you say invite, help us to just know when you speak, we can trust you. Whatever it is, we can trust you. You'll always be there to catch us. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for those of you who are in here today. Maybe some of you are are like I was this week on 50 Highway. You're just inconsistent. You're sick of being inconsistent. I want to pray for you. You're in here today and you love Jesus and you love God, but you are a vampire Christian. You've not let the world know yet because you don't trust the outcome of that. I'm going to pray for your identification. And some of you are like my wife and I that God has clearly told you to do something and for a year you've been waiting, not because you don't have faith, but because you can't exhibit trust. I pray that you'll step out. God, I pray for the men, the women, the teenagers, the children who are here today. And God, I pray that you will speak to their hearts, that you'll speak to their minds. God, that you will help those who uh, are living a vampire Christianity, type of Christianity, to come out into the light and identify with you. Lord, that you will allow those of us who consistently struggle with consistency to buckle down and get more serious about our faith. And Lord, that you will help those of us who you're calling our hearts to just trust to get into the seat that God has provided for us, knowing it will deliver us where we need to go to. Help us to have identity, consistency, trust, as we've learned from Daniel today. God, we love you. We pray once again for all those churches and people and families in Aurora, Colorado, who are hurting this morning. You might reach out to them. that You might touch them. that You might provide a peace and a comfort that only you can provide. And God, I pray that you'll be with us as a church as we try to live for you, impact this community for you, help people understand who Jesus is and how much he loves them. Let's see things in Jesus' name today. And everyone said together, amen. Ushers, I'm going to ask you to come down the aisle. and I'm going to